Genesis chapter 12. We're concluding a series, a three-week series in week four, on who is a disciple. And we've said a disciple is a family missionary servant. We've tied everything into the identity of Jesus Christ. We said Christ came as a son that we would become sons. Christ came as a servant that we would serve. Christ came as a missionary that we would be missionaries. And we've seen that all of our actions flow from our identity in Christ. And so today we're going to try to wrap everything together and, and try to put family missionary servant into one word. So we're going to see if we can do that today. Our text is Romans 12, uh, 1 through 21. We could do a lot of sermons here. And as I was like putting, this, get, putting together the text, every part that we touch on today, we could easily go much deeper in. So I say that to encourage you to pray over this text, to dwell in this text, um, to know that we are scratching the surface of this text. But what I want to do is invite you to stand. Uh, we've been standing for the reading of God's Word. We are going to be reading quite a bit. So if you get tired, if you're not able to stand throughout the whole time, please uh, take a seat. We do this uh, for the purpose of honoring God in His Word. And I just got really loud in the monitors really loud? That's all right. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body and in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with Good. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus. And God, this text, this text has so many massive implications for our life. I I, I pray as we walk through it today that you help us. God, I pray for conviction, for encouragement, for refinement. God, be with us as a church. Help us to know that our lives are living, holy, and acceptable sacrifices to you. And that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. God, help us to know that. Help us to know that every single part of our life is meant to worship you. I pray now as we study this, as I know sin is going to do everything it can to cause us to reject this message, to rationalize it away, to dilute this message. I just pray for your spirit that you accomplish your word in us today. God, help us to know your will. God, help us to understand your word today and help us to live as your church. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So this this text has caused me to question many things in my life this week. I mean, just many things. And the implications are massive, and I can't even, like, stress that enough. I want to encourage, we can't leave here the same way as we came in today. Not if we really believe that God's word is inerrant, it comes with his authority, that it's true, that it's applicable for us today. We can't leave here the same as we came in if we actually believe that. So I want to do is I want to encourage you to be praying just throughout this message that God would change you, asking Him to align you with His Word. Don't pray for your wife, your husband, your spouse, your kids. Pray for you. Let us all pray for ourselves. When I'm going through this, that's what I'm doing. I'm still learning from this text. Um, Let's do that as we go through, because the implications of this text, if this is lived out, I mean, this will change the world. It really will. So we're going to make our way through. I try to be kind and we give a few blanks. Notice it's kind of a long outline there. I didn't make any of those 13 things blanks today. That was grace. Or maybe mercy, I don't know. Number one, a disciple gives all of himself to God. A disciple gives all of himself to God. Paul says here in verse 1, As disciples, believers of Jesus Christ, we are to present our bodies as sacrifices to God. And the words living, holy, and acceptable, they describe the sacrifice. Don't take living and separate that from holy and acceptable. Our English translations do that, but that sometimes messes it up a little bit. The word living, holy, and acceptable are all describing the sacrifice. The word acceptable... It means our bodies are a fragrant aroma to God. They please God. They're enjoyed by God. The word holy, it means we are fully devoted to God. A holy sacrifice. Completely and absolutely devoted. The word living, 
I got to think it means a couple things. It means we're spiritually alive in Christ. And it means we're alive. We're breathing. We are living, breathing sacrifices. We're not to self-mutilate ourselves. We, as we live, breathing our sacrifices to God. Now, in the first century, sacrifices were done all the time. So we got to try to understand how they would have understood this because we don't necessarily offer animal sacrifices today. At least I don't think many of us do in this room. Come talk to me later if you do. But sacrifices were a regular practice, especially back in the first century. There, uh, Jews regularly made sacrifices to God, um, and, and, and unbelievers, pagans, made sacrifices to their deities all the time. Sacrifices were usually animals that were killed, burned, and then eaten. But most importantly, a sacrifice was an act of worship to a deity, to whatever god it is that you worship. So telling a person in the first century that they were a sacrifice would have been very strange to them. Sacrifices are what we give to God. It's an animal that I kill, burn, and, and possibly the priest will eat or I will eat some of it. But that's what a sacrifice is. And Paul is saying, you, as the church, are sacrifices. A sacrifice was an object fully devoted to the glory of a deity. And that's exactly what Paul is communicating. We are to be fully devoted to God. Everything about us. He says at the end of verse 1, your body is a sacrifice, and that is your spiritual worship to God. Meaning, everything we do is to be devoted to the glory of God. Now just think for a moment about the implications of that. Just let those run through your head. He's saying your body, the fact that you're breathing right now, everything that you do is to be for the glory of God because you are a sacrifice. You are the fully devoted object to God. You are the sacrifice. You are living, holy, fully devoted. You are acceptable, meaning a fragrant, a fragrant aroma to God. Your life is the sacrifice. Not a part of your life, but your life is the sacrifice. Like, just play those implications through. What part does that live out, leave out? Nothing. So how did this happen? If we were to read all of Romans, in Romans 1, Paul is very clear that all of mankind is under the wrath of God because we've rejected him. We've worshipped creation and not God. Therefore, we are to be punished and be under his wrath. But Paul tells us at the beginning of verse 1 here in 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Everything he is saying here is because of what God has done. Now, mercy is always an act of grace. And it is um, an act of God's goodness given to those who are in misery. That, that's what mercy is. It's an action of God given to those who are in mercy. Always a form of grace. And so Paul is saying that everything God has done for us is, is an act of mercy because we were enslaved to sin, in misery to sin, serving creation, worshiping creation rather than Him. And so now Paul says, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you, Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Before salvation, we're slaves to sin, haters of God, but because of God's mercy, we're now free of sin and become lovers of God. All of chapters 1 through 11 is Paul just saying what the gospel is, 
how we have been saved. He points out we are saved by grace. The fact that Jesus Christ came and died on a cross. He says because of Jesus Christ, when we have faith in him, we're now at peace with God. We've gone from under his wrath to now being at peace with God. He says uh, we're no longer condemned and under his wrath. He says we are now sons of God, adopted forever into his family, given the spirit of God, guaranteeing that we are his children. He says a lot more. That's all we're going to get to here. So Paul is saying on the basis of all that God has done for us, our lives are now to be lived for his glory. You see, the question is not, why am I to offer my life as a sacrifice? But it's, how could I not offer my life as a sacrifice to God? Based upon the mercies of God. Everything that God has done. The fact that he sent his own son to die on a cross that we could be saved. How could I not live for him? How could I not? Let me read just a couple texts. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, Do you not know that your body is a holy temple um, of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. What was the price? That was the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That was the price, and because God has purchased us through his Son, we're his. We're his children now. Romans 6.22, Paul says, Now that you have been set free from sin, you are now slaves of God. You, you are slaves of sin. Everything you did was, was to worship yourself, was to worship creation, and you were going to, at the end of that, experience the wrath of God forever. He said, but now, because of the cross, you're now slaves to God, meaning your lives are fully devoted to God. We're no longer slaves to sin because of the cross. Jesus purchased us, freed us, made us alive, and made us a part of his family. The reason we offer our lives as sacrifices to God is because he offered his only son as a sacrifice so we could be saved and have life with him. And Paul is not just referring to that thing you did so many years ago when you prayed and received Jesus. This is not that one thing I did. Well, when I came to know Christ, I gave my life to him. Boom, we're done. Step two. Paul is saying every day, every day we present ourselves as sacrifices to God. This is an everyday act of worship that we do. Let's go to verse 2. Verse 2, I believe, is very much the explanation of how we do verse 1. And in verse 2, we see a disciple undergoes a radical transformation of the mind. A disciple undergoes a radical transformation of the mind. Because of God's mercy, not only do we offer our bodies as sacrifices to God, but now we see we think differently. Remember, Romans 1, we hate God, we reject God, we worship creation. But now, because of salvation, we're no longer conformed to this world. That mindset, hating God, rejecting God, serving creation, that was a conformity of the world. He says, now, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind. This means we think differently. The thinking differently that we do as believers goes against the conformity of this world. Means the mindset of a disciple and the one of an unbeliever is going to be radically different. We're no longer conformed to the way we did before coming to know Christ. But we're being transformed. 
We can't miss this. If you are saved, if you believed in Jesus, do not think as the world does. You know that. We do not think the same. So how is it that we think differently? And this is one of those areas we could spend a lot of time on. So we're not going to spend a lot of time, but I wanted to make sure we knew why we think differently. Like what exactly happens? If you read later 1 Corinthians 2, it's very helpful here. I'm just going to point out a few things. But in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul points out we have received the Spirit of God. And now the Spirit of God indwells us. And in verse 12 he says, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things, <clears throat> that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Like what? Like the cross, like grace, like the fact that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, adopted us into his family, that we are now his. That we would understand what God has freely given to us. And not just understand on a logical, you know, factual level, but understand at a heart conviction level. We know what God has done. And in verse 16, Paul says, on the basis of having the Holy Spirit, you have the mind of Christ. The reason we think differently is because God has given us His Spirit to indwell us that we would now think as Christ does. Isn't that amazing? It is, amen. Like, that's amazing. God has given us Himself that we would think as He does. And it is the Holy Spirit who continually transforms us through our daily life. Transforming our mind so we continually think as God does and not be conformed to this world. Now, this knowing of the will of God goes beyond just logic. We're told in verse 2 of Romans, God's will is good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. Not only do we logically know the difference between what is God's will and what isn't, but we are to be able to taste the difference. It's not just a visible, factual knowing. These two are different. We can taste it. We can enjoy it. Meaning, not only can we visibly tell the difference between a hot dog and a filet mignon, but we can taste the difference. Do you know what I'm saying? We taste. If you don't know the difference, well, we need to fix that. <laughs> Potluck, someone needs to bring some filets. I can probably provide the hot dogs. We taste the difference. It is good and acceptable and perfect. And, and as we taste it, we're enjoying the difference. We enjoy the will of God. When you read like Psalm 119, longest psalm in the Old Testament, I mean, it is the psalmist praising God for his word. He's saying, I love your word. Your word is like honey on my lips. Well, why? Because he delights in it. He enjoys it. He tastes it. He knows the will of God. His mind is being transformed by the Spirit. And he goes, your will is good. I don't just know your will. I pursue your will. I desire your will. I want your will. I never want hot dogs again. I want the filet. 
But if we're honest, so many times as Christians, we act as though God's will is something God does not want us to know. Like, just think about that. Like, how many times have we, have you, have I probably said, man, what is the will of God? If only God it could be more clear. Why doesn't God let me know his will? What does the text say? He gives us his spirit so we would know his will. We would discern. We would literally be able to know, to prove, to test, and to enjoy his will. And it happens as the spirit transforms our mind. So really the question is, is are we being transformed? Are we submitting to the Spirit? Are we submitting to the Spirit? Like verses 1 and 2 are intertwined with one another. If I resist the Spirit's renewing of my mind, then I will not offer my body as a sacrifice. If I don't want my mind renewed, if I'm going back to the conformity of this world, I'm starting going... Man, I like people looking up to me. I like, you know, these objects, these things. I'm starting to worship these things. These things are becoming my idols. I'm not presenting my body as a sacrifice, and my mind is not being transformed. But when my mind is transformed, and I'm delighting in the promises of God and His will, I am loving giving myself to God. They're intertwined with one another. We need to remember that as we live on this earth, we're going to battle sin. Go to Romans 7. Read that. Romans 7 is about this battle that Paul, as a believer, is experienced, saying, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Do you ever, you ever do that? I mean, is that not the experience of the Christian life? Some people say, oh, that's Paul before he's a Christian. No, that is the Christian life. The things I want to do, I struggle with doing. My body, my flesh keeps wanting to be conformed to this world. It keeps wanting to go back. But as we are being transformed by the renewal of our mind, we're experiencing the grace of God. We're beginning to know the will of God. And our bodies are being presented to Him as sacrifices. The world will do whatever it can. Sin will lie to us, trying to get us to seek um, our happiness, our desire through the world. It will lie and say God's will is not sweet like honey, but it's nasty like beets and cauliflower. And I think cauliflower is nasty. I don't even know why they put it on those little trays. Broccoli, fine. Like celery, oh, the stuff's good. You can even put stuff on it. It even tastes better. It doesn't matter what you do to cauliflower. And now people are making like cauliflower pancakes, cauliflower. That's a side note. But that stuff's just nasty. There are evidences of the sin, of the fall of the world, and a cauliflower is one of them. That's me. Some of you are like, man, I really like cauliflower. I'll pray for you. Um, But I think this right here, like this questioning of the will of God, this resisting the submitting of God, that he would continually renew our mind, that we would then present our bodies as a sacrifice, is where the American church is. Like we resist this so much. We're not battling sin, but we've bought into its lies. Our minds are not being renewed. We don't know God's wills, and our bodies are not sacrifices to God. We compartmentalize our sacrifice to a two-hour time limit on one day of the week. And we say, that's worship. Let's go worship. What do you mean, go worship? Any of you tell that to your kids today, to your wife today, to your spouse? Let's go to church, honey, and go worship. Really? What does that mean? 
aren't our lives an act of worship, but we compartmentalize that. And, and you say, well, that's just semantics. Everything in here is words. Semantics is words. We need to be careful with our words. Because what happens is we start saying things like, let's go worship, let's go worship, let's go to the church, let's go to the church. And then 15 years later, the church is a building and worship is two hours a week. Because we bought into that over time because of the way we used our words. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is this amazing, radical description of a Christian life. And it will not go unchallenged by sin, Satan, in this world. It will not. God has given us a victory in Christ. That we would live this world, continually being transformed by our mind and giving our lives as sacrifices. Let us not fall into the enemy's lies. Let us strike down the sin that seeks to lure us away from God. Let us submit to the Spirit, having our minds renewed and thus living sacrificial lives to God. This leads us to our question, which I'm sure you already know the answer. We've asked this question every week. Who is a disciple? We said previously, a disciple is a family, missionary, and servant. And today, a disciple is a worshiper of God. Everything in verses 1 and 2 is about worship. Our lives are given to God as our spiritual worship because we are worshipers of God. Because we're worshipers of God, we worship God. We do not worship God to be saved. We worship God because we are saved. Our identity is in Jesus. And what, when we go back to the truth, remember the truth we've looked at. What God has done to us, he now wants to do through us. Remember we've looked at that for the last few weeks. What God has done to us, he wants to do through us. God sent his son as our sacrifice for his glory, so that we would be sacrifices for his glory. What God has done to us through Jesus, he now desires to do through us. He sent his son to be a sacrifice so we would be saved for the Father's glory. And now we are sacrifices in this world for the Father's glory. The reason we live our lives as sacrifices to God is because we're his. He purchased us by the blood of his son. He's redeemed us. He made us a part of his family. And he made us worshipers of God. So that every part of us is, a worship, is to be worshipful to him. So how does a worshiper of God live? How does a spirit-transformed, devoted disciple live? And that's what Paul answers in, verses, in chapter 12, verse 3, all the way to chapter 15, 13. We're only going to go to the end of chapter 12, and we're going to make 13 observations there was many ways we could have done about this. We could have just categorized these things. We could have made a few comments. But I thought it would be helpful to actually walk through the list, um, verse 3 all the way to the end of verse 21. And we're going to go quickly, but we're going to talk about each thing. We're not going through these 13 observations as a checklist, though. I don't want you to think, this is what I do Monday, this is what I do Tuesday, this is what I do Wednesday, and this is a checklist. Think of this as a prayer list. As we go through it, let's pray that God makes these characteristics a reality in our life. So let's go. Number one, a disciple is a committed member to the body. Uh, a committed member to the body. We see that in verses three through five. 
We've been saved that we'd be a part of the body of Christ. We're all members of his body. No one is saved and not also made a part, made a member of the body. You cannot be a disciple and not be a part of the body of Jesus. There's people that say, I love Jesus, I just don't ever want to be in church. He saved you to be a part of his body. The church is the body of Christ. This is like your arm saying, you know... I'm going to take the weekend off. I'm going to leave you and go somewhere else. How, how would that happen? It's just silly and ridiculous and dumb sounding. So is a disciple thinking he's not to be a part of the body. That same, same mentality. Christ uses a body metaphor. So we would say, wow, just as every part of us is connected and we need it. So when we are saved by the grace of God, we are made a part of the body. And the beautiful thing is that we all have different functions. All have different functions. We share some functions. Some have greater uh, gifts in certain areas than others. But it seems like where one, where one strives, then someone else strives in another or excels in a different area. You know what I mean? It's just neat when we look at the body, which means we need one another. Just as every part of your body, just pick. What part do you not want? What part? I'm not saying if you want to be thinner or something like that, but just... What part? You want to go without your neck today? That's weird. You just want to go out, maybe out your left hand. No, we're saved to be together, or we're saved to be a part of the body. We're necessary. Hear this, disciple. You are a necessary part of the body. If you're here, you are a necessary part of this body, as we are one expression of the body of Christ. You are necessary. If anyone says you're not, they're a liar and they're going against the word of God. You are a necessary part of the body of Christ. Number two, a disciple has been uniquely gifted to serve the body. Every disciple is uniquely gifted. We saw that. And look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, the great words now, let us use them. It's pretty clear. Let us use them. You've been gifted, so you would use your gift. You have a hand, so you would use your hand. You have a leg, so you'd walk. You have feet, so you'd do what feet do, and toes and all that stuff. Those are all technical words. Are you using your gift? Remember, our bodies, as they're presented to God, are fragrant aromas to God. And we are a fragrant aroma when we use the gifts that God has given us. Verse 7, we see a disciple diligently lives out uh, the gifts he has been given. If his gift is serving, then it's to serve. If if his gift is teaching, then teach. The point is, diligently use the gifts you have. Use them. Use your gift. If it's teaching, teach. If it's encouraging, encourage. If it's loving people, loving, which we're all called love, but you know what I mean. In verse 9, we see disciples are to wholeheartedly practice their gifts. We're to generously contribute. We're to zealously lead. We're to cheerfully lead, serve others. Nothing stinks more than a gift that's only partially used. We're not to serve halfway. We give our everything. Why? Because it's our bodies that are sacrifices. Paul didn't say, it's your time. It's your money. It's Sunday. He said it's your body, meaning everything is for the glory of God. 
So it's all to be used for him. Number three, a disciple has a genuine love for others. You see this in verses 9 through 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Love is the preeminent quality of a disciple. We're all called to love one another. And our love is to be genuine, meaning no hypocrisy, no secret motives. We're not to pretend to love others so we get things from them. We're not to have secret motives and let us not always think that other people have secret motives. That is paralyzing. You're questioning what everyone else is always doing. I'm sure we can make a list in this room today of all the hurts we have because how people have wounded us by the secret motives. There's not a person in here who's not been wounded by that. Someone loved me so they could get something out of me. Someone did this just so they could use me. It's true. It's happened. We could make a list. But if we operate under that, if we start having secret motives, if we always start thinking everyone has secret motives, we can't live this out. Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. How do I love you with brotherly affection if I'm thinking you're always trying to use me? How can you do that to me if you're thinking, oh, he called me just because he wants me to serve in the usher greeter meeting, which we're going to have after this, right? You know, that subliminal little... You're all going to stay for the usher greeting meeting. I'm using you right now to do what I want now. But uh, if we think everyone has secret motives, we will not love one another. You won't. You think they're just using you. You think they don't really care about you. And that's a lie Satan would love for you to believe. And it may be true at times. It may be true. There are going to be times you, me, and we're going to, because of sin, we're going to mess up and we're going to do things. But if we operate as if that's what we always think is going to happen, we will not love one another. We are to display genuine, hidden, motive-free love for others. Number four, a disciple lavishes love on others. We see that in verse 10. We prefer the honor of others over yourself. Now, who loves that? Man, I just wish somebody would get more honor than me all the time. I want to give them more honor than I do. I want them to have the best seat. I want them to have this. I want them to be recognized. And I don't want any recognition. That's amazing. We are to prefer the honor of others. Number five, a disciple eagerly serves Christ. Look at verse 11. We serve with zeal. We are fervent, meaning we are enthusiastic. We are literally burning in the Spirit. And I love then how he puts, we serve the Lord. Like, let's not lose anything here. Paul's saying, we, we serve fervently, we are zealous, and it's because we're servants of the Lord. It's because of Christ. It's because of him. We're serving him in all that we do. When you serve in the usher-greeter ministry, ultimately, you're serving God. When Linda serves these people by giving them food, ultimately she's serving and glorifying God. Everything we do is ultimately for God. Number six, a disciple rejoices at the return of Jesus. We see that in verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Our hope is that Christ is going to return. This is not a wishy-washy hope. This is I know he's going to return, and I rejoice that he's going to return. Isn't that good news? We rejoice that Christ is going to return. Number seven, a disciple trusts God in suffering. Notice, 
Right there in verse 12. Be patient in tribulation. That's a weird word to have next to tribulation. It's one thing to have, let's persevere in tribulation. You know, suck it up. Let's be strong. Let's encourage one another. Persevere. But be patient. Trusting that God has brought whatever tribulation you're going through for your good. And he's using it as a means that you would glorify him. Let us be patient. He will bring it to an end when he does. But let us be patient. Number nine, or number eight, a disciple prays. I love it. Be constant in prayer. We will not offer our bodies as sacrifices without prayer. Spurgeon said, let us be constant, instant, and expectant in prayer. Just pray. <laughs> That's what we're called to do is pray. Prayer is, um, is a tangible, is an active way of us, to, of us expressing our dependence upon God. Number nine, a disciple tangibly loves others. We see that in verses 13 and 14. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. We meet the needs of others. Let me ask you, when's the last time you met the needs of someone else in this room? You met their needs. When was the last time you reoriented your schedule for another believer? For an unbeliever? I don't say this to shame or guilt, just when? This, this is how we're called to live. That we would contribute to the needs of the saints. As a family, we're to serve each other. We're called to give our resources, our time, our money, our everything for the benefit of one another. Because we're family. We love one another with a brotherly, brotherly affection because we're family. We contribute to the needs of the saints because we're family. We see also we love strangers, which is hospitality. That could refer to believers or unbelievers. But notice the word, it says, seek to show hospitality. The word seek is to hasten, to pursue. Like you're looking. Who's a stranger? I'm going to get them, and I'm going to show need. I'm going to help them. I'm going to meet their needs. I'm on the prowl for strangers. It's weird. But think about it. As Christians, what if we sought to show hospitality? That means I'm not sitting here waiting. Man, God, if you want me to be hospitable, just, you know, have them call me. Have that stranger find my phone number and then call me and ask for needs. And I will be so hospitable. If only they will call me and ask me exactly what they want so then I can meet their need. No, we're looking. That's why when we're greeting one another even here, look for people you don't know. Let's show them love. Maybe they're new. Let's let them know what the area is. Not to, not to manipulate them so hopefully they come here. Show them love. How can we help? How can we meet your needs? We bless those who persecute us. Really? Paul, go a little far there? Stretching the whole worship thing? Well, Jesus prayed for those who crucified him. Stephen, the first martyr in the New Testament, while rocks are flying at him, he prays for his enemies. How'd Stephen do that? I'm going to venture, the answer is in verses 1 and 2. By the power of the Holy Spirit, his mind was being renewed, and because he was delighting in God's will, meaning everything he wanted to do was for the glory of God, he was giving his body as a sacrifice to God, that even to the point of death, he would pray for others, that God would be glorified. You will not bless your persecutors if your body is not a sacrifice to God. As long as we fight for our glory, we will not bless those who attack our glory. We'll protect our glory with everything, 
and you come and attack that, I'm not blessing you. But when I don't care for my glory because I've been saved and it's all about Christ's glory, then I look at that even in my persecution, even in hurt, even in death. If God can be glorified, I want you to know that. I want to bless you. Number 10, a disciple emotionally connects with others. We read that in verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Do you celebrate with others? So often, like, we envy others when good things happen. Like, man, why'd that happen to them? I want that. But think about this. We're to be filled with joy with others. We're to rejoice with others. As believers in Jesus, we ought to be throwing some amazing parties. Like, think about it. We rejoice with others. Why? Because we celebrate with others. If your daughter, your son, your wife, your spouse, something really good happens to them, what do you do? You celebrate. Maybe you go out to a really nice dinner. Maybe you do a surprise birthday party. Maybe you take your friend's son and take them to Great Wolf Lodge. So that, No, that's a side note. That's what's happening to me. But, but we celebrate. Jesus went to a party and made the best alcohol. You're like, well, really? Can we do that? Well, we can't, but I mean, I mean, make the best alcohol, but he's celebrating with other people. We ought to be amazing at throwing parties. When the world looks at us, the church, they shouldn't be like, man, those guys, they're so stiff-necked, collared, shirt and tie all the time. Don't they ever have fun? There was a, a pastor where I used to live. We'd go to the beach. He would wear his shirt and tie there and jacket. Now, you know me. I'm not the shirt and tie guy anyway, but, but really at the beach? That's his preference, whatever. But as, as Christians, we ought to celebrate. Let the world know that we love to celebrate. And when we see others celebrating, we want to come alongside them and celebrate. And we weep with those who weep. When family hurts, we hurt. We're all part of the same body. If your foot is broken, your, your body hurts. A couple years ago, like my neck, like this thing happened there and just hurt you ever know like just something hurts and it's like you can't sleep right you can't do anything right no matter what i did it just hurt it hurt everywhere else everywhere else in my body also because of that we weep with the body when the body hurts number 11 a disciple loves all people without favoritism look at verse 16 live in harmony with one another remember this there's jews and gentiles major racism it dwarfs the black and white issue we had here in America, or have here in America. This is major, thousands of years of animosity built in between these people. And Paul says, live in harmony with one another. It is a prideful spirit that keeps us from loving the needy, the poor, the outcast. It is a prideful spirit that will attempt to reason why we do not need to help others who are hungry and are hurting. It is a prideful spirit that will prevent us from serving those who are different than us. And it is a prideful spirit that causes us to look down on others. That's what it is. It's pride. You look, he says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. If I'm haughty, I will not associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So somehow being wise in my own sight is going to help me be haughty, which I'm going to look down on other people. I'm definitely not going to love on them and serve them. We're called to serve other people. We're called to be where those with needs are. And you say, well, I'm never really surrounded by those people. Well, we should be. We need to position ourselves in community 
where there are needs that we can meet. Number 12, a disciple actively gives love to those who gives evil. A disciple actively gives love to those who give evil. And that's what we see in verses 17 through 20. We do not repay evil, but we give love for evil. Wow. The fact that God is just frees us to love others. I do not need to act vengeance because God promises he will. If there's vengeance that needs to be done, he says, I will do that. Your job is to love. Your body is a sacrifice and you're to go love and to serve others. How do we love our enemies? Well, we feed them. We give them water. We meet their needs. As we receive mercy, we give mercy. We treat them like family. I just want you, you you got the face. It's probably the picture is in your head right now. And you're like, really, them? Loving them like family? Yeah. Why? Because our bodies are a sacrifice to God. Because of our identity. We are made worshipers of God in Christ Jesus. You're not serving them and loving them so you get right with God. Because you are right with God. Because Christ loves you and died for you when you were his enemy, we show our enemies love. That they would know Christ. Number 13, a disciple conquers evil with love. If we retaliate and we turn evil with evil, we've been conquered by evil. It's as we love one another, we conquer evil. So we've gone through 13 characteristics of a disciple. We could have spent a lot more time on them. So what kind of life is this? Well, two things. It is a normal Christian life. This is a normal Christian life. That's how Paul's presenting this. He's not saying now, for you guys on this side of the room, the bar's a little bit lower. You guys don't have to do that. You on this room, you have all 13 qualities. You need. It's not like that. This is the normal part of the life. He's saying your life is a worship. This is what it looks like to live as a life of worship. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean that on day one, we're displaying all 13 of these characteristics. It's going to take a lifetime. But as Paul, what he's really describing is a life of worship. Verse 1, our lives are spiritual sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable. The reason we live out these 13 acts of worship is because we are worshipers of God. I mean, Tim Keller explains worship this way. It is an act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that energizes and engages your whole person or being. Let me read that again. Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that energizes and engages your whole person or being. So that means worship is exciting. Worshiping God takes place in the active redirection of our love away from ourselves or our ideologies and toward Christ, including emotions, but also will, intellect, action, our whole selves. He's saying, look, worship is exciting, and worship, it takes control of every part of us, redirecting everything from us toward the love of Christ. So what does this life of worship imply? It means we're not our own. I know we've already said that, but can we really overemphasize that? We're not our own. If our lives are sacrifices to God, living, holy, and acceptable, this means everything's on the table. Everything is on the table. How you spend your time how we spend our money, how we spend, who we spend time with, where we eat, where we go on vacation, how you vacation. Think through that. How we use our stuff. Everything is God's because we are his. 
the reason we are living, the reason we are living sacrifices is because of Jesus. Ephesians 2 says you are dead. We are dead apart from the grace of God. Apart from God, we are dead. He made us alive that we would be living sacrifices. If you have life, it is only because the Spirit of God lives in you. And the Spirit of God lives in you so that you are not your own, but you belong to God, and he's transforming you that you live for God. Don't let that scare you. God is love. Remember three weeks ago, God is love. Everything he does is loving. You say, well, what if he asked me to do something really crazy? Well, his will is good, perfect, and acceptable. So everything he desires us to do is, is good. It is loving. Because our bodies are sacrificed to God, it means we're not to make much of ourselves, but we are to make much of God. We do not worship God during music only. That is one of the things I detest the most when it comes to, let's enter into the worship time of the service. Because when we open the word, we stop worshiping God. Or when we give of our money, we stop worshiping God. Or when we're greeting one another, we've stopped worshiping God. And then we resume when we go into music. No, it's stupid. It's bad theology. Worship is everything. Music is a good expression of it. Going through the Word is a great expression of it. Prayer is a great expression. Everything we do here is a great expression of it. Everything you do out of here is to be an expression of worship. This means students, when you're at school, studying, playing basketball, eating lunch, when you're at home with your friends, playing video games, you're worshiping God. Everything is meant to worship God. Adults, when we, we go to work, you walk your dog, you clean your house, it's all worship. It means our lives are sacrifices to God, and we will go to places we may not even normally go, but we go there to worship, to serve others, and to glorify God. We will go serve the homeless downtown. We will look for people we can serve. We will go to pregnancy care centers. We will go to other countries. We will go to orphanages. We will go to places to share the gospel, love others, and meet needs. Why? Because our lives are sacrifices to God. So how do we do this? Prayer. I think the major part is prayer. Do not think of this as a checklist. Do not be going through, okay, I need to do this. Okay, I think I got that. Now I can move to the next one. You know, you'll never make it through the list. But we pray and just ask God, help this to be a spiritual reality in my life. So I... I bought a backpack this week, a hiking backpack. I didn't know if I should buy that backpack after this text. Like seriously, think about it. I actually had to make a list of reasons why I would buy this backpack. And, and I had to ask myself, not the question, can it be used for God's glory? Because anything. You can say, well, I could use any of this for God's glory. I could use a Ferrari for God's glory. <laughs> I asked, will I use it for God's glory? Is it what he desires me to do for his glory? Just think about that. What purchase are you going to make that you should not ask that question for? When you buy a house, is this for God's glory? Do I need the eight extra bedrooms? I don't know. Is it for God's glory? 
Or can you save 300000 and maybe give it to missions? I don't know. Everything we do, go to the grocery store. You can buy a lot of really great name brand stuff, spend a lot of extra money. What if I bought different kind of stuff? What could I do with the money? How would I use it for God's glory? What do I do with my time? How do I, treat, how do I let my kids dominate time? Do I take them to every single sporting thing they want to do, letting them know life circles around them so that when they get to 18 years old, they think life circles around them and they have no idea why we'd say serve other people. How do we help them to know life's not about, about you, it's about God, and how do we do that? What, what decision is there that we go forward after reading this text that we do not say, is this for your glory? We have to start wrestling with that. So I just want to encourage us this week, and I take this beyond this week, but just this week, pray three things. I want us to pray that we would offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Just pray this week, God, help me to be a living sacrifice. That's what I want to be. I want to be a living sacrifice. We don't even know what that means, maybe. Maybe you're sitting there going, man, I still, that's crazy talk, but let's just start praying it. God, your word says we're to be living sacrifices. I'm a little fuzzy on what that means, but help me to know. Number two, I want us to pray that we would be transformed by the power of our spirit, renewing our minds. Let's pray. God, just renew my mind. I want to think differently. Again, let's specifically pray this week. Take it beyond this week. Let's pray this week. God, I want want you to transform my thinking. Number three, let's just pray that we live fully devoted lives to God. Just pray this week. God, I want to live fully devoted to you. And take, be up, feel free, take this beyond this week. Feel free. But I want to take it this week. What if we prayed, God, my life is a sacrifice for you. Renew my mind. Everything I'm going to do is for you. And I want us to come back next week. I want us to celebrate what God has done because I guarantee you if we pray that prayer, God will do something. I promise you, when we pray the word of God, he will act. You know his will, is, his word is always his will. Let's pray. Let's pray those things. And let's come back, celebrate. And maybe we have amazing stories. Maybe we have stories where God revealed idols in our life. Let's just celebrate what God has done. And that we are his. And that we are his sacrifices. So I want to encourage you, pray that. My email is on the back of the bulletin, I think, should be. I don't know how we'll do it next week, but what I would encourage you to just email me what happens. Details, lots of details, little details. Email me. Somehow we'll celebrate it next week. I don't know if we'll just line everyone up and we'll just say, look at what God has done. Imagine if we did this every week. Imagine how that would transform this community. I don't know if I'll just Read them off. But let's do that. Let's just, let's just pray that God really works through us and that we're his disciples and we are living sacrifices. And let's be so expectant because this is the life that we're called to live. So I'm going to pray. I forgot to tell you, we're doing questions at the end of this. If you have a question, you can text it. I forgot to say that, so if you didn't text it, then we will uh, we'll let you raise a hand or two, and then we'll close so we can get to the worship portion. You know, it's not true. Let's pray.
Our Father, again, we come to you through your Son, knowing that your Spirit who dwells within us conforms our prayers to your will. And I just ask God to help. Reveal idols in our life. Just reveal them, expose them, and kill them. Rip them from us. No matter what the pain is, just rip them from us. That, God, we would live as holy, acceptable sacrifices to you. Because you've bought us. We are yours. You are our Father. Help us expose these things. And, God, we desire to celebrate what you are doing, not for our glory, not for us at all, but to simply point that you are God, you are good, and everything is about you. And God, I pray, energize us, equip us as a church that we would regularly go out from these walls sharing your love, being sacrifices in this community, in this world, and that, God, you would change this world. Others would come to know you. We would see your, your gospel going forth. We would see people coming to salvation. We would see repentance. And that would not be an unusual thing, but that would be a regular thing that we would experience because you are a very real, very powerful God. And your spirit is in us. God, we love you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So last, if we, do we have questions? We have a few. You want to? We'll only take a couple moments and next week we're going to be in Luke. Uh, we're going to resume our series in Luke, so I think we're in Luke 4. And right after this meeting, we're going to have an usher greeter meeting. It's going to take like 10 minutes. Like 10 minutes. So I want to encourage you. I know some of you have to get your kids, but I want to encourage you also to be able to stay. Uh, it's going to take about 10 minutes. It's a, it's, a, it's a ministry we can all be involved in. And it'll take about 10 minutes, and we have a sign-up list. And so uh, that's going to be afterwards. All right. First question that we have is, in your sermon you mentioned doing things in our lives for the glory of God. Just curious, what does it mean to do something for God's glory? I think uh, we have that list in Romans, loving others genuinely, meeting the needs of the saints, um, I, think, I think we could choose any of those. Um, blessing those who persecute us. Um, I think we need to pray how we do those because there's a temptation to do that to make much of ourselves. I'll meet the needs of the saints in front of everybody so everybody knows I did it. I think we need to be careful of that. Some of us are more prone to certain forms of pride than others. And we need to be very aware of those forms of pride. And so I, I would say be careful, be in prayer. Uh, but I, I think any of those things we talked about today. Okay, so, so those are descriptive of that phrase, the glory of God. I think so. Okay, cool. Um, it seems like a lot of living as a worshiper of God is rooted in the words, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How can we seek the renewal of our mind so that we can be transformed? It's a good question. Pray, obey his word. So read his word because... God loves to work through his word. And the spirit, as we read his word, will conform our minds to his word and then live out his word. So if you will not experience a renewing of your mind apart from the word of God. That's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to say, God, help me to think the way you want and then hide his word. So this is what he wants. 
Now, how does that look in everyday life? Um, how am I going to particularly bless those who persecute me? I'm going to need to pray over that. God, help me to understand how I do this with this person that, uh, you know, it's hard to love. And uh, I think he'll reveal that, but this is his will and word for us. This is how he will conform his word. And the Spirit's in us, guaranteeing it will happen. We need to submit to that. And that's hard. And that takes, again, what we talked about today, this is not day one of discipleship. Like, wow, I lived out everything God calls me to do. It is, wow, this is going to take a lifetime to do. And even then, I'll never do it perfectly. So, The last question we have has to do with the will of God. And it's, how do I practically seek and discern God's will, especially when it seems as if the path before me is dark, muddy, and unclear? Yeah, that's, that's about right. <laughs> If you're wanting it to be clear, uh, same answer, prayer, and through God's word. I would say in community with other people. So often, we as believers, we say, yes, we're committed to the body. We're saved to be members of the body. And then I'm going to make a really big decision apart from the body. I don't think that's right. If you're going to move somewhere, invite Christians into that. They're your family. Why would you not involve family in your decision? That doesn't mean we're going we're gonna to tell you what to do. We might give wisdom. God might use us to speak wisdom, and it might expose things, but I think we need to uh, talk about big decisions in family. I was talking to uh, a guy the other day. He said, man, I, I feel like God wants to do this thing in my life, and it seems big. It seems crazy. I don't know how to do it. So we talked about the Word of God. We talked about praying. We talked about just beginning to walk forward, not necessarily knowing what's going to happen, but when you start a hike, when you're at the bottom of Mount Rainier, you can't really see the peak. You know, you, you can't see it. But as we walk, it becomes clear. It doesn't happen right away. We might walk for a long ways before it starts coming clear. But we just keep walking by faith. And uh, I think we need to involve other people into that. Okay. Those are good. Those are good. And it, again, I want to emphasize, I don't say that it's easy. As in, it's just, it takes no, no perseverance or struggle. We will struggle. Um, we're fighting sin and, and we're trying to, to live pleasing lives to God. Um, but it's his spirit that empowers us. So let's not, let's not think that we can't do it because he's in us guaranteeing it's going to happen. He's just saying, submit. Just read the word, pray. Come into my presence and let me change you. That, that's what he's saying every day. So um, yeah, that's good. Let me pray as the team comes up. Our Father, we, we again thank you for these questions. I know there's many others. God, help us to live lives of worship to you. We love you. We glorify you. Be glorified in this church. In your name, Jesus, amen. We're just going to close with one last song today. Um, we sang it last week. It's called Take My Life and Let It Be. All for you, Lord Jesus. So as we sing that, um, sing that as your prayer today in response to, um, to the Lord. And may we live for him and for his glory. You all can stand with us as we sing, if you will.